today's reading is from Luke, Luke chapter 4, oh, come on. starting at verse 14 and reading to verse 30. Okay, I presume it's up there, yep. Okay, oh, it's up there as well. I never look up there. Okay, right, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to, throw, to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Pray, Father, you will help Tim now as he brings your, his message, your message to us now. Amen. Thank you, Robin. Now, I just realised that not everyone might know who this guy is. So, uh, without much notice, I've got four questions for you. This one, this first one is a multi-part question, because that seems to be what I do. That's more than four then, isn't it? No, no, no. It's just, there's only one question mark, so it's only one question. Mm. Uh, <laughs> who are you? How did you become connected to SBC, and how long has it been? That's one question. Right. Um, I'm Tim White. We've been coming here since about 2011, 2010. Um, yeah, when as a family we came back from Darwin. And uh, yeah, what was, it, what was the third part? Um, how did you become connected? We moved into Falconbridge. Yep. And we're Baptists. <laughs> <Again>? <laughs> nice. So, 
So we tried the local Baptist church, wondering if we had to go further afield. But um, no, I knew of it. 30 years ago, my brother was here as a member. So I knew a fair bit of Springwood. And so from the time we planned to come to the mountains, we planned to come to Springwood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've got a a son and a daughter-in-law, I believe, who... Yes. Have some connection here as well? Yes, yes. There's a, there's a son over there, young Ben and, um, and Kiralee, and they've, hmm. you came along and married them in our backyard. Yes. My yes. kids freaked out when I said I was marrying them because <laughs> I'm already married. That's right. They were really <laughs> they were worried. So none of those count as questions, um, just for okay. the record. Um, what do you do during the week and or is there anything interesting that you've done during the week in the past? Okay, I'm an educator and I've only ever taught in Christian schools. Um, I've been principal of a couple of um, school communities, worked a lot in curriculum uh, and at the moment I'm working one day a week and uh, doing higher degree research uh, for most of the week on transformational learning. That sounds really valuable, and I'm very glad that you have the brains to do that. Uh, This one's a hard question. Um, What is your favourite smell? Red curry, chicken, Thai, yeah. That's pretty good. And if you're able to, could you give us a 30-second or so uh, outline of your faith journey? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Um, Has it been a long one or a short one? Has it been easy or hard? uh, I I was brought up in a Christian home. Uh, Dad was a Baptist pastor. And um, at the age of 14, I suddenly realised that there's a whole lot more to faith than hiding behind your family Mm. Um, and had a profound change of life experience um, and have enjoyed great support from the Lord through, um, yeah, different journeys. Um, Some wonderful journeys and some really tough ones. Yeah, um, yeah we lost Ben's mum uh, in 2014 um, and that was certainly a really um, tough time but a time in which I, I really felt upheld by, by God and by his people. Yeah. And um, yeah, and now um, happily settled um, Married to Freya, and uh, we enjoy ministry together in Christian education. Um, yeah. So, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, and no uh, looking forward to hearing from you on the chapter. Okay. Okay. The family ties of Jesus and his hometown of uh, Nazareth and his experiences there. Now, after Jesus had vanquished the evil spirit in the desert, his time of temptation, he showed how much he was under the influence of the good spirit. 
having defended himself against the devil's assaults, he now goes on the offence. His ministry starts in earnest. And Jesus uh, does this by returning to his home region, a remote part of the country, distant from Jerusalem, and he announces there the beginning of his mission among his family and friends. So in Luke's narrative, in our reading, we find Jesus at Nazareth, the city where he's brought up. He's come to Nazareth after he's gained something of a reputation in other places, including Capernaum. And there he takes the opportunity to preach. Our reading says he stood up to read. Now in the synagogues there were seven readers every Sabbath. The first a priest, the second a Levite, and the other five locals of that synagogue. We often find Jesus preaching in other synagogues, but not reading, except in this synagogue at Nazareth because he's been a member there. He's known by that community. And so he's offered his services, as he had perhaps often done, and his reading was from the prophets. He found the place which was set down to read that day. Okay? He didn't thumb through the scroll saying, oh, I know a good one, I'll read Isaiah 61. No, it was the designated reading for that day. And as it happens, this text gives a full description of the work that Jesus came into the world to do. His mission. So what did he come to do? Well, in verse 14 that Robin read to us, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He came in the power of the Spirit. So he's qualified for the work that he's going to do. All the gifts and graces of the Spirit were upon him, not in part, but in fullness. He now came in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus was commissioned Verse 18 in our reading says, because he had anointed me. He was sent to preach. He was to preach to the poor, to those that were poor in the world, whom the Jewish spiritual leaders often looked down on and spoke of with contempt. To preach to those that were poor in spirit to the meek and humble, and to those that were truly sorrowful for sin. To them, the gospel and the grace of it would be wonderful, welcome news. He was to preach 
the gospel. Not just words that people could hear, but he was to make that preaching clear. To bring it not only to their ears, but to their hearts and deliver them into the pattern of the gospel. People shaped by that gospel message. And there are three things Jesus is to preach. And each of these means transformation of the hearers. Transformation of people into the heart and the very purpose of the gospel. So Jesus is to preach deliverance to the captives. The gospel is a proclamation of freedom, God's deliverance, just like the message of freedom to Israel when they were in Egypt. And the invitation to return home to the captives in Babylon. Freedom. And by his life and death, people may be be released from guilt and by his spirit and grace from slavery to sin and instead making Jesus their sovereign and being ruled by him. So that sense of freedom, Jesus is to be a great redeemer. He not only proclaims liberty to the captives as Cyrus did to the Jews in Babylon, but he actually sets at liberty those that are bruised. He came in God's name to discharge poor sinners that were debtors and prisoners. The prophets could not proclaim liberty. But Jesus, as one with authority, as one who had the power on earth to forgive sins, came to set sinners free. Jesus came to talk about recovery of sight to the blind. He came not only by the word of the gospel to bring light to those that sat in the dark, but by the power of his grace to give sight to those who were blind. And I think Luke has the sense here of actual blindness and spiritual blindness. Jesus came to be a great physician. He was sent to heal the brokenhearted, to comfort and cure troubled consciences, to give peace to those who were humbled by the thought of their sins and under dread of God's wrath against them, to bring people to rest who were weary and heavy laden. He is the healer. 
And Jesus came to preach about relationship with God. The God whom they defended was willing to be reconciled to them and to accept them. There was a way of making their service acceptable to him. There is now a time of goodwill toward men. And this language alludes to the year of release, the year of jubilee. When slaves were released, when debts were put aside. That was an acceptable year to God's people. Jesus came to sound the jubilee trumpet and blessed were those that heard the joyful sound. It was an acceptable time, the day of salvation. And Jesus is here proclaiming that among family and friends. When Jesus had finished the reading, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue clerk and began teaching. And what a way to begin teaching. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What Isaiah wrote by way of prophecy, I have now read to you by way of history. Now they'd heard of his preaching and miracles in other places. Now he was preaching to them in their synagogue. And they hear that this day the scripture is fulfilled. And their attention was focused on Jesus. Big expectations on what he would say. Having heard so many rumours and the news concerning his early ministry. They admired him. Hey, you know where he's from? Hey, Nazareth. He's a local boy. They all commended him. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And yet, as appears by what follows, they did not believe in him. Nagging doubts. Well, can anything great or worthy of our regard come from someone so ordinary? We watched him grow up. We knew his dad. Good bloke. <laughs> but come on, a local tradie. Jesus knew what was in the minds of many of his hearers. Because you know that I'm son of Joseph, your neighbour, you will expect that I should work miracles among you, as I've done in other places. As one would expect that a physician, if he was able, should heal not only himself, but those of his family and community. They were pleased with Jesus' words, but only because they hoped they were an introduction to some amazing miracles. 
They wanted to have their lame and blind, the sick and lepers, healed and helped, that the distress of their their town might be eased. And that was the main thing they were looking for. They thought their own town as worthy to be centre stage of miracles, as worthy as any other town. Why shouldn't his neighbours and acquaintances have the benefit of his preaching and miracles rather than any other community? And in response, Jesus presents stories of two of the most famous prophets of the Old Testament. The miracles God delivered gave favour, but in these stories, not to Israelites, but to foreigners. He says, think about the story of Elijah. Jesus reminds his listeners that God sent Elijah to care for the widow of Sidon outside the commonwealth of Israel. When there was famine in their own land. In this way, God would show himself a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows so that he could show that he was rich in mercy to all, even to the Gentiles. Jesus said, think about Elisha. Elisha instructed Naaman the Syrian to bathe in the river and this healed him of his leprosy. Though he was Syrian, a foreigner, but not only a foreigner, an enemy of Israel. We don't hear of Elisha involved in the cleansing of any children of Israel. Only the Syrian. Jesus mentions both these instances to show that his actions and miracles are according to God's wise plan, not human desire. But what is shocking to the listening Jews is that both of these examples are of miracles done among Gentiles. How offensive. But showing that God had a wider sense of family than just the Jews. The gospel was to be a message for a wider family that incorporates all nations of the world. Verse 28, when they heard these things, congregation was filled with contempt. They were angry that Jesus should compare himself. You're just the son of Joseph and you're comparing yourself with Elisha and Elijah. And you're comparing us 
to the people of that corrupt age when Israel bowed the knee to Baal. But what especially exasperated them was that Jesus intimated some kindness that God had in reserve for the Gentiles. And the Jews could by no means bear that thought. Verse 29, they rose up in a tumultuous manner against him, interrupted Jesus mid-sermon and interrupted their own spiritual worship. Couldn't wait until the synagogue worship was over. They had to rush him straight out, threw him out of the city as one not worthy to have a place among them. Though he'd grown up there. Threw from them the saviour and the message of salvation. Not only that, verse 29, they led him to the brow of the hill with the intent to throw him off head first as one not fit to live. They'd heard the stories about him. They just now admired his gracious words. He ought to have been allowed a fair hearing to explain himself. Yet they hurried him away in mob fury to put him to death. Family ties. Yet Jesus escaped. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. He passed through the middle of the crowd unhurt. Either God blinded their eyes, as God did to the Sodomites and the Syrians, or he bound their hands or he filled them with confusion so that they couldn't do what they set out to do. For his work was not done. It was just beginning. His hour had not come. When it did come, he freely surrendered himself. But until God's plan would unfold in Jerusalem, Jesus was bulletproof. Nothing gets in the way of God's sovereign plan. So in verse 30, they drove him out of Nazareth. And he went on his way. And this incident, I think, adds irony to the insult of his title, Jesus of Nazareth. Not only was Nazareth the place no one expected anything worthwhile to come from, it was the family and community that rejected him. But that was not deflating for Jesus. In the way Luke has carefully constructed his account, we see a sequence. Earlier, chapter 3, baptism. Leading to testing in the wilderness. 
leading to proclamation of mission at Nazareth. So we have to go back a little bit to the baptism. At his baptism, it's as if a window from heaven is open. God looks down and says, there's my boy. And I am so proud of him. He is the family that matters to Jesus. He is the father to listen to, be guided by and encouraged by, be obedient to. Here is the father who will draw people of all nations to himself and this is the mission of Jesus, to draw his family together. I think there's... There's a caution for, for us here too. Churches can be notorious at commenting on who should be welcomed as family and who should not. Well, God's family will have people from all nations. And some of our brothers and sisters might come as a surprise. Our family will include Messianic Jews, Palestinian Christians, believing Ukrainians, and God-fearing Russians will be there too. We dare not be like the Jews of Nazareth who would dictate to God what it meant to be in his family and who was welcome. After all, we can have a look around. He's welcomed you and me into his family. For goodness sake, he can invite anyone then, can't he? It's a passage from Luke, but we finish with words of John. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. family ties we are family we have the right to become children of God only in and through the grace and the obedience of Jesus let's keep on the lookout for more relatives as we live each day by his grace and his goodness Let's pray. Lord God, we enjoy so many blessings 
from your hand because we can pray and say our Father. We share that bond of family because of your grace, your goodness, your kindness. Jesus, you suffered and died to bring all of God's people into your kingdom. Help us as we live to have that same generosity, that same openness, that same welcoming as we live sometimes through the frustrations of relationships, but knowing whose we are and knowing who we are in you and because of your grace. And may that encourage us this week as we reach out in love and in kindness to those around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.